This is the Paul Goff Audio Experience, business lessons for physical therapists. My name is Paul Goff, former professional soccer physical therapist turned successful business owner and best-selling author from the UK. Each week, we answer your questions and bring you an inspiring story or person from the global physical therapy community. This show is dedicated to sharing with you everything you need to know to become hugely successful in private practice. Thanks for joining me today. Now let the class begin. All right, so let's do another CEO uh, series interview. Uh, this one, we're heading up to Princeton, New Jersey to speak to Pyle Patel and Cody Plofka of Adapt Performance and Rehab. This uh, interview uh, I love and couldn't wait to share with you. I've known these two now for uh, a couple of years and it's just been stunning to watch them start a business uh, less than, I think, just under two years to get to where they are. They're well on their way to uh, creating a half a million dollar revenue business. Uh, staff are onboarded already stepping back and just I think two or three weeks away from uh, Pyle stepping out of uh, patient care almost completely. So it's gonna be a fascinating interview, um, which I'm excited to share with you. So um, a little update, make sure you follow us on Instagram at the Paul Goff is where it's all happening right now, getting a lot of great interaction on the videos that we're putting out for you. Uh, Twitter at the Paul Goff, be sure to follow me on there. And let me just say thank you to the sponsors of the show, Infusionsoft, who are, uh, they've almost reinvented their product and it's amazing to see what those guys have done now. And uh, if you're interested in using uh, Infusionsoft in the way that I use it to run all of my businesses, uh, head over to polgoff.com forward slash Infusionsoft. The systems that we've got for you, we can drop into your business within the next 30 to 60 days. Everything from uh, lead follow-up systems, drop-off systems, uh, what to do to reactivate patients systems. We've got uh, welcome sequences. We've got 10x past patient referral systems for you. Uh, we've got discovery visit systems, pretty much everything that you're going to need we've got for you uh, inside of Infusionsoft. So don't be put off it. If you ever think it's confusing, uh, well, the body was confusing before you studied it. Um, but the good news is with Infusionsoft, uh, you don't really have to study it. I did all of that for you. It took me two years uh, to figure out what you can have from me inside 30 to 60 days. So head over to polgoff.com forward slash Infusionsoft. Uh, take the training, uh, get to see inside of uh, my uh, systems. And if you like what you see, just fill out the form at the end and um, make a call happen with Rachel, who uh, is my Infusionsoft gal, and she can uh, tell you how to get started with us. There's three different options to get going with Infusionsoft. Choose which one works for you, and we can get those systems into your business in the next 30 to 60 days. If you uh, don't want to take the training, and this has just lit up your, uh, your eyes, if you like, with uh, the idea of being able to get Infusionsoft built for you in the next 80 to 60 days, just send an email, paul at polgoff.com. Uh, my team will take care of you. We'll send it on to Rachel and she'll get on a phone with you in the next couple of uh, days. So again, thanks to Infusionsoft. I uh, couldn't run my business without you. Couldn't run this business, uh, any of my businesses, without Infusionsoft. And I wholeheartedly recommend that you at least check them out. Uh, don't rule yourself out just because you uh, don't necessarily know how to use Infusionsoft. Um, you don't need to. We'll uh, show you how to do that. So uh, we're just now a day or two away from Nashville which um, I'm excited about. We have a lot of people coming into the event and I'm uh, spending the day today just finishing off my notes and uh, just making sure that I'm ready uh, for the uh, for the weekend. It's always 
uh, certainly over the next uh, 12 to 24 hours, I start to get uh, very excited and, and thinking ahead about it and, you know, kind of the anticipation of 150 people flying in. We've got Mike McCallowitz. We're going to be talking about marketing. We're going to be spending a lot of time talking about people. It's people. If you want to grow a successful business, it's people that you must master. Uh, marketing becomes easy. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong. Marketing is a never-ending, lifelong, constant always you know figuring out better ways to do what you're doing to get people coming through the doors but the one that's nearly always overlooked is people that the recruitment of people the hiring of people the training of people the coaching of people the optimizing of people the setting the standards that you expect those people to work within is the game and i will never ever back down from that the more that i grow my own businesses the more that i work with businesses around the world the struggle that you'll run into if you're not already there is people and that's what ultimately this CEO series is about. And much of the work that I do in Mastermind, um, of course, we cover marketing, but absolutely the conversations are nearly uh, always uh, lead to um, who do I need to hire next? How do I make sure I get the right one? What do I need to do to coach them, train them, onboard them? Uh, in Nashville this weekend, I'm teaching the employee ladder of success. So last time in Las Vegas, uh, I taught the patient ladder of success, which is ultimately what steps does your patient need to go on in order to be uh, crowned successful to ultimately get the outcome that they want. You know, the health restoration, the ability to walk further, the end of uh, their frustrations and their worries, the uh, lack of needing surgery and so on. That's what it takes. Uh, that's what success looks like ultimately for a patient. And you have to define what those steps need to look like, communicate them with your team to make sure that uh, there's no steps missing on the ladder. And if um, they're missing a step, um, then they're not going to get the success that they want. So we taught that in Las Vegas uh, back in March. This time around, I'm going to be teaching the employee ladder of success. So what are the steps that your uh, new team members need to take in order to be called successful? Uh, 12, 13 weeks worth of steps. What does it need to look like at every step of the way? So I'm excited to, to talk through that. And then ultimately, continue a conversation about leadership, something called the support challenge matrix I'm going to be talking about how every leader of a business right now is in a different quadrant of that matrix uh, and ultimately what quadrant we need you to be in and obviously how to get there. So I'm going to share some interesting examples of the relationship, for example, that me and Vicky have, how she's in one quad quadrant, I'm in a different quadrant and ultimately we have to work together uh, to, you know, to balance our styles out, if you like, when we're managing uh, people. So uh, that, along with what it takes to coach one-on-one, -on -one, what's the conversation need to look like uh, between you and your team, uh, how do you ultimately get them to get the best out of themselves? Huge, huge uh, distinction there. That again, if you're looking for wisdom uh, and just slight nuances in the way that you look at your business, there's one right there. And then it's not about ultimately how you get the best out of them. It's about how you help them get the best out of them self so i'm going to talk through all of that in vegas we've got uh, sorry in nashville we've got mike mccallowitz coming in to talk profit first uh, ultimately how uh, to apply that principle to a physical therapy business going to talk marketing uh, 10 overlooked uh, strategies that people are not using uh, that i think could and should be using to make more profit and uh, the most important thing 
uh, we all get to hang out with each other for uh, two days. There's already people flying in as I record this. There's already people in Nashville, uh, which is great. It's just a great excuse to get the hell out of your office. And again, if you if you believe me on anything, um, believe me when I tell you that the most important part of uh, growing a business is actually to get out of the business. That if you're stuck in that office all day, every day, you are driving yourself mad. If you are driving that same path to work every day, pulling up in that same car park, sitting in the same office, talking to the same people, listening to the same stuff, having the same conversations, watching the same TV show on a night and you know having the same conversations even with your family, you are you're you're, you're just you're limiting what's possible for yourself. Getting out of the business and getting out of those the you know and this is scientific by the way, this is not me just, you know, rah rah. It's scientific that you getting yourself out of your business is a prerequisite for the brain in order to expand its thinking, to expand its what it's seeing. When you're in your office all day, every day, the neurons fire very, very little. When you get out and you get to something like what we're doing this weekend in Nashville, the neurons in your brain and the, and the, you know, the, the chemicals, the uh, signals are just firing like 100 times faster than they would be if you're in a business that you're in all day, every day. And as a result, you see things differently, you hear things differently, you reflect on things differently, and ultimately that's the progress that you need to make. Most of the uh, people who are heading this weekend, that's the thing that they tell me they love. They start to get excited about it a week or two in advance. Uh, It changes the way they feel. They arrive at work feeling differently. They arrive in the hotel this weekend in Nashville with 150 business owners who've got the same challenges, the same struggles. Uh, We have very different conversations than we can have with our family. Um, You know, we talk good things, we talk challenges. There are $100,000 ideas banded around at the bar, and that's no exaggeration. Um, So it's just, it's paramount. If you're not going to do it with me, make sure that you're doing it with somebody. And I, you know, if I ever get to meet you, I'd tell you to your face that that you've got to get out of that office. Uh, From a scientific point of view, you are killing your creativity. You are killing your vision. Your vision's your office. Your vision is what you see at that point. What we want to do is put you in a situation with very smart businesses, expand your thinking, expand something called your capacity threshold. Uh, When you start to see how much other businesses are taking on and dealing with it, you start to believe in yourself that you can take more things on and that you can deal with it. Uh, these are all of the strategic reasons for getting to events like what we are hosting this weekend in Nashville and we do every um, every four months. So that's what's happening in Paul's world. It's just as exciting for me to get there. I've got the team flying out from England. Um, myself and producer Jake are flying out uh tomorrow so um so yeah it's going to be good and like i said a lot to share with you now on instagram youtube and twitter so uh make sure you uh give us a follow there at the paul goff all right so uh pile and cody adapt performance um we uh talk to them they've been in business now since 2017 and they are uh, not there yet but they're well on the way to uh, in the very near future creating a half a million dollar revenue business as well as stepping out of patient care completely we talk about the challenges the two faced when they got started and specifically how they picked the wrong type of patient and who they now focus on instead that has let them grow faster and more profitably we discuss their recent hiring challenges and the importance of getting the right office manager as early as possible. We take a critical look at the hiring mistake that they've recently made and ask what they could have done differently to ensure the next one is the right one. You'll hear my advice to my 28-year-old self with regards hiring, as well as the importance of a CEO buying back time in order to grow the business faster than ever would be possible if you're stuck inside the treatment room for 35 hours per week. 
It's going to be a great interview. And if you want to follow the path to success that Pyle and Cody have took with me, uh, their learning pathway was this. Step one, New Patient Accelerator program. Uh, joined the 4% Club Mastermind program immediately after and were one of the very first into the CEO program that I started uh, this year. It's been a wild ride for the two of them and um, you're going to get to hear all about it on this episode. Let me have your comments and questions for future podcasts on Twitter at the Paul Goff. Um, Ten is up and enjoy the show. All right, so let's get going with another episode of the uh, CEO uh, series. This time we're headed up to uh, Princeton, New uh, Princetown, New Jersey with Pyle Patel uh, and Cody Plofka. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having us Thanks, on. Paul. Thanks for having us. Pleasure. Now, I'm excited to speak to you two. Um, very, very excited to speak to you two because you've had such um, a lot of success in such a short period of time. And you're already doing very, very well in terms of, you know, you, you obviously mastered the uh, getting your own clients and getting that business established that you've got, but to already be in a point where practice manager and you're starting to step back and you're bringing in a fitness manager, there's a lot going on in your business in a short period of time for a relatively fledgling business. Uh, I, as I see it, you've already made uh, great inroads. So I'm excited to learn more about what you uh, have learned from it and the experiences that hopefully you're going to share with us. So tell us about your business and ultimately how you got started. Yeah, thanks, Paul. Um, so we got started about just under two years ago, and yeah. we opened up just Cody and I, and we had two services. So obviously, I manage the physical therapy side of things, and Cody is responsible for the performance training side of things. So essentially, we decided to use both of those services to kind of um, uh, essentially build off of each other so we okay. can work who are currently in pain and we can work with those that who are not in pain yep. at the moment and kind of use them as front end authors for each other. And so we started our company, um, quickly realized that we weren't quite sure what we were doing in terms of marketing and sales. And so when we, did the com company start? Let's just, so we, we've got context all the way through this. Yeah. So labor day of 2017, was it? Yeah. 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 And so, so that was September of 2017. And I think we started working with you sometime around December of that same year. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think a lot of this was just not being exposed to what it takes to really run a business. Um, and after kind of opening up our minds to what was possible, if we kind of had the exposure to go along with it, I think we very quickly realized that it was possible for us to eventually have a self-sufficient business in which we could remove ourselves one day. We were like the perfect example of like, just thinking that like clinical skills was all you needed. And like, yeah. if you were good, people would come to you and they would refer everyone. And um, we learned the hard way by seeing our bank account disappear that it wasn't the case. So we realized <laughs> so saw accelerator and spent some of our last money on it. And it was the best thing we ever did. It's funny. The number of people who've told me that I didn't realize that um, the amount, the amount of people who, uh, have said when I when I bought your accelerator it was the the last you know few few dimes I had in my account and I spent it on you and I think Jesus like people put so much trust in you when you you know when they buy these courses it's it's phenomenal really so twenty so it's twenty seventeen and um you start this business you are there thinking it's all about clinical skills so who was the who was the focus on tell tell me more about that as you got started what where did you see the business uh, going and who was the patients you were trying to get in and, and just how did you see the model originally. A play out. Tell me more about that. 
So I guess part of the problem is we didn't really know who we were really catered towards. On the performance side, we thought we were going to work with like just athletes. Yeah. And we kind of realized how hard that is. And even even on the physical therapy side, we, we thought it was going to be, you know, mainly athletes and, and youth athletes and kind of realized that, you know, there's so many challenges with that. Um, so obviously, you know, Accelerator kind of opened our eyes to, you know, picking an avatar and actually figuring out who your marketing is geared towards. So we shifted towards active adults um, okay. quickly, just realizing that the desire is a little bit higher. They're more solution aware at that stage. Um, and so we, we since then decided to, our USP has now become, we work with active athletes and active adults um, to end pain, improve fitness and sports performance and get them back to doing what they love. And how's that helped since you've shifted that USP? Oh, uh, I mean, dramatically better. Um, I mean, I, I think, so like athletes are seasonal, like they're playing their sports and stuff like that. So it's hard to, you know, have recurring revenue, especially on like a fitness performance side when people are leaving every few months. Um, but also, you know, I think it's so much easier selling to the person who's got the problem, who's got the pain yeah. you can on a lot more emotional level. So I think that makes it a lot easier to market and sell to them. Yeah. I think it's something that everybody has to be careful of is, is not to get too drawn too drawn into a pocket of people that you want to serve because you have an emotional attachment and, and what i mean by that is it's it, the classic case for a pt is that they like to go to the to the gym so they want to treat people in the gym or they like to go to crossfit so they target people who go to crossfit or they play soccer so they target people who play soccer and i i get that and it's it's obviously a magnet towards you know this is this is where i want to be but what i often find is and you see it in a group that people start out that way and then very quickly they realize, well, these people are hard to, to, to find and they don't necessarily want to pay the bills when they do show up. And there's this other pocket of people out there that if we go after those, a, easier to find and ultimately they'll spend more money with us. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And I think so, we still are able to work with athletes. We just do it indirectly. You know, we don't directly market to them, but they're still able to come to us. Yeah, it's a, it's, and that's a good point is, your uh, marketing dollars, when, when you put time and effort into anything, um, you've got to be sure on the return that the, the ROI that you get on both your time and on your money, if you can go and find somebody who's going to spend an extra $1,000 with you every time, you will still inherit the people who, by word of mouth, you know in the gym or you know a friend of a friend tells them about you. You're still going to get the, you know, the, the athletes coming. But in terms of spending dollars on them, it might not be the best use of time or your money absolutely so tell us about some successes that you've had recently things are going uh rapid you know for you uh profit could be hiring it could be scale it could be reduction in hours tell us about some of the successes that you've had recently i think first and foremost the the biggest success i think we're having right now is having some sort of vision yeah i think we're able to kind of step back and have an idea for where we'd like this year to go um And a lot of that is putting the right people in place. And so we've developed a strategy to start to get the right people in place in terms of front desk um, and then staff in terms of the performance training side and then the physical therapy side. And um, we're currently in the process of putting all the right people in place. So we've got, we've got our performance manager who just started recently to take Cody off the floor entirely so that Cody can just focus on yeah. um, all of the um, behind the scenes, we'll saw marketing front desk type stuff. And then we've currently, we're, we hired a physical therapist who will start within the next month. 
Um, give, give us an idea of your team right now, how, how it looks right now, and then we'll maybe dig into where you want it to be in the next 12 months. Yeah, so right now, we actually just parted ways with our front desk office manager. So we're actually looking to fill in that role. We're, I'd say, decently far into the hiring process, so hopefully we'll get somebody in soon. Um, we've got Cody as director of performance training, also um, handling all the marketing. Yes. I, I manage the finances and the cockpit type stuff, and then I also am currently um, full-time as a physical therapist. And with our new addition of a physical therapist starting in the next month, I should be able to focus on more of the running the operation side of things. Yeah. And then we also have another part-time performance coach as well, who, just to cover the hours. And, uh, and then one full-time performance coach. I don't know if Pyle Oh, yeah. Here. I'm sorry. Good. So um, let's talk about the front desk. Yeah. Um, what's happened there? What lessons can we learn? So we are uh, actively recruiting to replace somebody. So what went wrong with the hire uh, that you've learned from that you're going to take into the hiring process to get the next one right? So um, I will say this was not our first time hiring for that position. And each time we get better and better at it. Um, you're terming it, the pra is this the practice manager role or front desk? Office manager, yeah. Office so manager, yeah. Before, before CEO, like we were always looking at it as like, a, you know, we don't have the money to get a full time. So let's just get a part time, you know, desk person and, and train yes. them best we can and we realize the error in that because it's it's it is a really skilled position it's one that we realize is one of the most important positions in our company um so it's it's you know you help us see like it's what you miss out on by actually not having the right person yeah it's really expensive so we definitely did get it closer this time around we, we made sure we had someone with previous sales experience um we made sure that the they, you know, were comfortable on the phones and it was someone who, you know, we really thought had the skills to, you know, be able to handle our nurture process. Um, and there were definitely, you know, periods of success where, you know, it, it worked out. And then there were also times where um, maybe it was a little bit too overwhelming or maybe just didn't quite have the skills. Yeah. So we did learn, you know, over, over 90 days, uh, we definitely did learn a little bit more of what needs to happen on a, a training and onboarding um, side from our perspective, what we can do better. Because Pyle and I had like a lot of, you know, we have a lot of this in our heads, but we didn't really know how to communicate or really create systems for it. Um, so kind of what, you know, what worked for us in the past didn't really work um, for the future. So we, we did see, you know, a drop in numbers, um, which I know is a little bit normal when other people take over, but more than we wanted. Um, so, you know, going forward, we, we kind of know like what the training has to look like and what the systems have to look like yeah. to you know, make sure the person's actually set up for success. I love it. Um, I love it. The office manager role, practice manager role, whatever you, you know, whatever you want to call it, whatever anybody listening wants to call it, is ultimately, as I've watched this CEO program that we're involved in play out, it's the missing link for most people in their ability to grow a business, in that they're getting sucked back in constantly when front desk people leave or PT leaves or the biller leaves or whoever. And it usually means that the owner of the business ends up getting sucked into to tasks that they just shouldn't be doing that i'm not saying you shouldn't be involved in hiring but i don't believe you should be involved in the hiring process tactically by putting things up online and even doing the first phase interviews and scheduling times and going back and forth with can you come at this time and all that type of stuff you just lose so much time in the hiring process that actually limits the likelihood that you'll get the hire right because you'll end up just rushing it because you've got other things to do so by having a practice manager an office manager in place someone who's strong 
confident, uh, gets the kind of finance side of you know things, not necessarily at the analysis level, but certainly strong enough to be able to kind of uh, accumulate the data for you, if you like, uh, can handle phone calls, can handle objections. I think if you get that person, and I'd liken them to a quarterback uh, in, in a game of, of you know football, that ultimately they are the ones who set the play for everybody in the business. And the more that I look around the, the community that we've got, that is the... That's the one single thing that if I could wish anybody to have success in that role, when you get that right person, you've seen it with Jake Burnham, you've seen it with Kevin Vandy, you've seen it with so many people in that group, Paul Jones. They, when they get that right, that, that is the, the, the catalyst to many things. And equally, if they don't get that right, and for many, they don't even have one. And, and this is kind of where I'm trying to go with the conversation is ultimately understanding the difference between somebody on front desk and somebody who can run a business for you, somebody who can run a practice, it just wells apart. And yet they're, they're not that much more expensive to get somebody with good office, you know, kind of supervisory skills who's, who's led a team or a supervised team of three or four people who just gets and understands that people do actually have to spend money for a business to exist and so on. And getting that right um, is, is just super important. Uh, if I was to probe you, and so I'm going to push you, it's very easy for us to always conclude that we got a bad hire and that the person wasn't right. What have you learned about yourself in that process? What could you have done better, do you think? That's a great question. We've done so much self-reflecting on this because um, at the end of the day, um, you know, she came in day one and we thought she had the skills and values necess necessary in order to get the job done. So we tried to figure out, you know, was there something in our communication that dropped off? Was there something in our onboarding process that got a little muddy that yeah. might've been a little bit too overwhelming for somebody to respond to? Um, and I think what we decided was that within the first month, we did a great job of bringing her on board um, in terms of getting her comfortable, um, getting her really understanding what we do here and getting it to the point where she starts to feel comfortable with engaging with clients. The issue later on became that um, she was having a hard time having conversations about finances with people. And, okay. um, and this is where we started to see that either on the phone in the nurture process, she was having a hard time bringing up um, enough value in order to then talk about pricing when if a patient asked or a lead asked. And it became it became one of those things where she started to close down um, and it made it even tougher essentially for her to be receptive to the training at that point. Got it. Um, and looking back on it, I think the biggest thing has been to give enough clarity up front um, and give enough organization to the, our nurture system. So that way, once all of that is said, that's basically the value building right there. Once she's once she's got enough value, the second part of the piece where you start to talk about pricing should be the easy yeah. part of that yeah, one. Yeah. So I think the focus started to become the pricing instead of the value, and I think that's where it uh, got a little muddy. So here we go. I love this. Let's let's probe. As I listen to that, I think what when when I hear anything like that, and I've seen it in my own business, I don't think any amount of training and any amount of processing and any amount of binders or one-on-one uh, -on -one training with somebody can can really help them if they are not comfortable with money conversations and it's either something that people have 
and they don't, you know, they don't care about it. I often, you've probably heard me use my sister as an, uh, an example many times where somebody like my sister would be your perfect front desk office manager, she, a front desk person or an office manager. She just doesn't give a shit about money, right? In any way, shape or form. She has zero respect for it and has no emotional attachment to it. Therefore, if she had to ask a question or had to tell somebody this is the fee, and here's why it's worth what it's worth, she wouldn't blink an eyelid. She just wouldn't even consider, you could tell her that it's $500 and she'd just look the patient in the eye and say, it's $500, how do you want to pay her? Like she, she wouldn't have that emotional attachment. So what, what we find, and, and as I listen to you speak, I'm writing down one word, which is history. And as I look at the mistakes that I've made with hiring myself, it's, it's rarely in, the, and, and when, when I asked you the question, the mistake is rarely in, the onboarding and the training, right? Because we could all get granular with, well, I could have done an extra hour, I could have done an extra two hours or three hours or five hours, whatever. Ultimately, the mistakes often in the interview probing around the history. What have you done in the past in terms of having money conversations? What have you done when somebody has challenged an objection um, or when somebody's raised an objection about the thing that you're trying to sell them? How did you respond? How did it end successfully? How did you feel about that? Did you do it? Again? You know, did you do it again? Was it something that you did day after day after day? So if we're looking the next time, and I think, okay, well, the, the person that came into my office that didn't make it, the reason was that every time the money conversation came up, this person went into a shell, if you like, and and you know, from then on, we just couldn't get anything from them. What I've got to find next time is somebody who has a previous track record over a three five year period who has handled money conversations and isn't your uh, office manager in terms of you know pushing paper around an office, even arranging meetings, even um, responding to emails and faxes efficiently and diligently, because we know that probably won't be the thing that keeps them in a job or loses their job. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah I, I totally agree. We, we definitely did have some of them. We made sure we got some of them previous sales experience but looking back we definitely did not probe hard enough yeah uh, yeah and i think that that's it as, as we do the interviews i'm always a fan of um can you questions that would be can you recall a situation where a person made you feel uncomfortable tell me tell me about it and how did you resolve it tell me about a time when you tried to you told somebody the price they didn't like it what did you do to to make a successful transaction Tell me how you feel if a person says uh, no or that you're too expensive. How many times have you heard that in the last three to six months? Tell me about a time in your situation. Tell me about a time in a previous job where you've had an unhappy customer. Uh, what did you do to make them happy? Tell me about a time where a customer raised an objection about money. How did you handle it? And, and what happened to ultimately uh, end the conversation successfully? And, and you're, you're just going to stay there. Like, and that, that is what, what, I think if you can learn lessons from these situations, it's always the, what's the one or two things that ultimately defined either their success in the role or unsuccess in the role, and then working out what, what's the probing going to be around that. How many, that you'll never ask enough questions around the, how do you feel about money? Um, how have you dealt with it? And, and I'm, I've heard people say in the past, well, you ask them, you know, if you ask them, um, would you pay $250 for, for physical therapy? And if they say no, that that means that they, they don't know how to handle money. I'm not sure I agree with that because again, I go back to my sister. She wouldn't pay $250 for physical therapy because she doesn't value her health. Yeah. Doesn't mean that she is uncomfortable about asking $250. Yeah. 
big, big, big difference. The, the, you know, I don't have to uh, want to spend $5,000 on a Louis Vuitton bag to work in Louis Vuitton. Do you get me? It's like, I, I don't have to want to have spent $5,000 on that bag or that suit for me to be able to sell it effectively. I need very, very different skills other than just, I like this product or I value this product as such. Now I have to have some kind of affinity to, to, you know, to want it to sell it and see the, uh, the value in it for other people, but I don't always have to want to buy it myself. So I think as anybody's listening to this podcast around this office manager, the role of this office manager, if ultimately they're the person at the front who is handling and deflecting these challenges and these objections for you, you must be hiring somebody with a previous track record of handling money conversations because as we're finding out and you've seen it in the group, um, it's nearly always the thing that, that either keeps somebody in a job or, or in the end, it, it kind of causes the, you know, the parting of the ways as such. Absolutely. And another lesson learned is that, you know, we, I think we kind of naively thought that because she had previous experience in real estate, um, working on, you know, selling homes, we assume that she had had a lot of these conversations already, that she had been, um, and you know, the, the properties that she were selling were tough properties to sell. And so we just kind of assumed that she had been successful with the role. However, looking back on it, I realized that, that, that level of detail, poking, prodding certainly needed to happen. And I think we, we would have looked otherwise like at other candidates. How many people did you have lined up against her? In the end, we had one other person up against her. Um, we had probably, a, I mean, I think in total, as far as applicants are concerned, we got somewhere around like 140. Yeah. Um, yeah. Always the other thing as well is that, 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 uh, we only know if we've got somebody who's good, if you like, or a good uh, fit for our role, if we can compare that person against two or three. And that's always the ultimate goal is to be in a sleepless night with uh, thinking about which one you're going to have to say no to because ultimately both of them could do the job. So ch- that, there's the first thing that, that we've delved into. Um, what challenges have you run into as you look to be less involved with patients? I know you want to step back. What, what's the uh, challenge is that you are running into? Um, I would say, well, so we are currently in the process of hiring another physical therapist, so we haven't done that just yet. Um, but when they start, the goal will be to have them start to take all the new patients. So I'll stop seeing new patients at the time. And we actually don't have a high uh, reoccurring, like um, uh, reactivating patients list. So generally, all the patients that come in are still new patients since we're still a pretty new practice. Okay. And so- the thought is we'll have all the new patients start seeing the new PT. We'll start to increase their caseload and I'll start to have him co-treat with me until some of my clients feel, you know, we can comfortably talk about how I'm reducing my hours, but Jeff is available to see you. Yeah. When does that PT start? If you found him just hasn't started yet. Yeah. So he should start. Um, he's a new graduate, so he's available to start in August. However, I'm not sure his license will come through until September. So Good. We'll what was the thought process behind a new grad? Well, first off, something really great. Uh, clinically speaking, he has a lot of the same background as far as how he practices as a PT. So that was great. So less involved on term, in terms of onboarding as a PT. Yeah. More time spent then on how we do our cash-based model and nurture system. So essentially, um, we, we felt that he 
So he's worked in settings in which he was able to um, be in this type of place in, through his um, internships. And so his value was there. He knew exactly why he wants to work one-on-one -on -one with patients. He, he wholeheartedly believes that this is the type of setting in which he can excel in. So he already has an, a way of um, communicating that effectively to me. Therefore, you know, I think it's, I think it'll feel natural for him to communicate that with our patients. As well. I don't think we necessarily like went into it being like we have to hire a new grad. Yeah. Um, I kind of weighed the pros and cons. He was just the strongest candidate. and He was just kind of too good of a candidate to pass up. Good. So when you step back, where's, where's your time going to be spent? Oh, great question. So right now we are, I'd say slacking a little bit when it comes to planning our finances, um, especially with Nashville coming up with prop, profit first um, being a big part of the discussion. I'd like to get back on track with trying to um, reorganize our finances and make sure that we're staying ahead of things like payroll. Um, another Another place that I'd like to start to put my hours is going to be working with Cody to enhance our marketing for physical therapy. Good. There's a lot of things that we could be doing. We're well aware that we're not currently doing because it's just time consuming. So we'd like to start to um, put a little bit more effort into our marketing. Um, hopefully, of course, that means more leads and more patients. Yeah, it's good. Um, again, I, the, the, the discussion is interesting in that the person listening to this who's trying to get out of being a PT, nearly always what happens is they will say, well, when I get more patients, then I can start to step back. And, and ultimately what you're explaining there is the predicament that we're all in, the uh, paradox, if you like, of um, I haven't quite got the volume to, to, you know, to bring in somebody, but I'm never going to get the volume to bring somebody because I'm always treating, I'm always treating patients. That The uh, first spot that I always recommend that the person who steps back go into is marketing and that that is a you know you look at all of the best businesses in the world nearly always nearly always that you, you'll be able to pinpoint the founder of that business as a marketer whether it's disney whether it's apple uh whoever you know you you look at the companies that that come out of uh silicon valley they're nearly always marketers at heart and the end up having to bring in like a chief financial officer or a CEO COO, and even in some cases a CEO to, to actually run the company, uh, much like with jobs at Apple. But ultimately, their primary role in the company was a marketer. And I'm yet to find a business that exists or grows without the business owner spending some time, significant time in the seat of marketing to at least get it off the ground to the point of it being independent of them and then being able to bring in people to potentially do the marketing and or then replace themselves in the finance department, in the you know chief operations department uh, and so on and so forth. So I think that's a good, um, a good plan you've got. And I, I'm going to go back to something that you said earlier. The, the focus on, the, on reactivating the past patients or getting referrals from past patients, it's such an overlooked, um, I'm going to speak about it in Nashville actually this weekend, it's such an overlooked uh, idea that the pursuit of more new patients is a rabbit hole that many people can go down and they're thinking that all of their problems will be solved if I can get an extra six calls from Google or Facebook or whatever and, and to a you know to a certain degree it would be but the thing for for everybody to understand is that there comes a point in your business where you, you know you spend your five hundred dollars on your newspaper ad or you spend a thousand dollars on Google and you literally can't get any more juice from the squeeze so it doesn't matter what, what you, you chuck at that. You know, you can't just spend another $1,000 on Google 
um, thinking that you're going to get twice as many new patients. It's not as easy as that. And, you know, I, I wish it, I wish it was, um, that what has to start to happen is once you get some form of rhythmical acquisition of new leads coming through the door, so you've got some trickle of Google, some trickle of Facebook, newspapers, whatever it is that you do in your community events, then the focus then needs to switch towards a, a healthy respect for how do I get more referrals from the patients that Google brings in? So instead of trying to get more from Google, it's how do I get more from the initial patient that Google brought in for me. Um, my mentor calls it getting literally two from one. It's, it's the minute that somebody comes in through your Google ad, you can multiply the ROI within a week because that person was able to bring somebody to you. And I think that is just a focus that people need to, to uh, be aware of, that it isn't always just a ruthless pursuit of more, more, more front end leads. It's how do I get that one lead to turn into a patient and ultimately then bring their family, friend, colleague, whoever, to the business and on the reverse what you normally see with the big insurance base but you know big insurance clinics who have got referrals from doctors when those referrals from doctors dry up they may have a past patient list of let's say 5,000 people over a 10-year period or however long they exhaust they exhaust the referrals things they just constantly doing workshops they're constantly asking their past patients to come back they're constantly asking for referrals and in the end that pool of people dries up and their focus needs to switch to, to the front end stuff, you know, the stuff that I taught you in Accelerator. So there's always that game we're playing all the time as a business owner. It's never about one strategy. It's about being critically aware of when the strategy needs to be modified, changed, uh, switched, flipped, focused. This quarter needs to be on past patient referrals. All right, good. At the end of the year, we're going to really go heavy on new leads because it's just a great time. And my caveat on all of that, and as I sum it up, is that you can only do that you can only think like that when you actually have time to think, i.e. like a CEO, like a leader of a business. And instead of slaphazardly thinking we just need more patience and just looking at any way possible to get somebody through the door, there's actually a well-thought-out plan uh, and a strategy in place to go, our big focus this quarter is on referrals from past patients because it's summer and you know the athletes are not around or you know the snowbirds have gone or whatever, depending upon where you are. And then towards the end of the year, we switch from past patients to, to looking at front-end patients. And if you start to think like that, it's stunning how much more success you're going to get um, in your business. Yes, it's absolutely true. And I completely agree with you. It's something that all that analysis can happen if you have the time to truly analyze it um, and really think in terms of your perfect patient and you know, when are they available, how are they available, what does their network look like and that kind of stuff. Time is your greatest gift as a business owner. It is the greatest thing on earth, and it's the thing that most people are missing. It's like gold right now for anybody listening to this podcast who is running a, you know, even a three to five person business. Time is not your friend, and yet it, it, the the only way that you can grow that business is with time to think and to reflect, to analyze, and instead of having nine or ten things to do on a list, you take an hour to figure out which one is the most important pick one major and end up with two minors that, that are all completed. And at the end of the week, you've gone home and your business is moving forward. But for most, their head is literally figured, figuratively up their, up their backside, constantly putting out fires, treating more patients. Uh, and you cannot grow. You, you can keep a company alive like that, but you cannot grow a company like that. And that's the big um, difference. Tell me about what you've learned about leadership since you've started to hire people. What have you learned about yourselves in that department? 
a great question. Um, I think the biggest thing I've learned about leadership is that it comes in many different ways. Yeah. Um, you know, you've got, we've certainly employed and we currently employ many different types of personalities, um, people that respond to different types of things and people who want different types of mentoring. And so the biggest thing that we've learned is being open and receptive to how people learn. Um, we've also started to become a little bit more diligent with making sure that we're consistently checking in on people, scheduling meetings that occur consistently so that we can kind of, we call it the same page meetings where we're trying to kind of make sure that everybody's communicating effectively, that we're all working towards something similar. Um, Tell me about them. How do they go? How do you, how do you hold those meetings? Yeah. So they're done at the beginning of every week. Um, it's weekly for an hour. Um, monthly meetings occur for two hours and quarterly meetings are for three hours. And we just kind of first go over a recap of the week before um, for a weekly meeting. And we'll start to talk about um, the direction we need to take the current week in order to hit the goals that we've set in place for the month and ultimately the quarter. Um, and I guess ultimately the year really. And um, what we'll do is we'll kind of start with a recap of the past week and then we'll talk about cockpit a little bit and talk about where our numbers currently exist in comparison to where they need to be and then we'll start to talk about what can we do to support that ultimate goal so marketing efforts sales what do we need to work on what do we need to focus on what do our numbers suggest is currently um, uh, needing attention so most recently while we did have our previous office manager on board, we noticed that our arrival rates were plummeting. Um, so we normally had 95% arrival rates. People would always show up. And then this past month, I think, I think our arrival rates went down to about 45%. And we needed to take a step back and figure out where that was because that right there was our revenue for the month. Yeah. And so we needed to take a step back and figure out why people weren't coming. And that is when we, I think we really understood if we had the right person in that role or not. But I think from that process, we learned in terms of leadership, what we needed to do to effectively turn that around um, in terms of hoping, uh, in terms of literally spending the time in teaching and supporting um, our office manager. And so what we did is we decided that we needed to fully hash out our nursery system. And from beginning to end, full in-depth psychology of all the different types of leads that we might get, where they might be in, in terms of the process, what they might want to hear, what they might not want to hear at yeah. certain phases along the way, um, and how to properly guide them towards where they want to be. So much to the point where when we do book them for a consultation, there's no chance that they're not going to show up. And again, like Cody said, a lot of this was in our head before in terms of Cody and I, we just kind of felt it out, knew what we were doing. Um, and a lot of it was just, you know, time for us. But for our office manager, um, someone who hadn't been practicing this for a while, she definitely needed the guidance. And so we asked her what she wanted. She said, let's sit down and hash the whole thing out. We said it was a great idea. So we did it. Um, in turn, what ended up happening was I think it created a little bit too much overwhelm because I think what happened is she realized how in-depth this could get. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it did help us a lot in understanding where so do we how, need How do you get them on board then? Tell me about that. How do you, because this concept of accountability, 
is um is something that we speak about all the time in the mastermind program that ultimately if you want to grow a business you need to hire people who are accountable but at the same time it, it also makes people feel vulnerable and weak and just exposed to the fact that they may not be as good as you know they thought they were when a boss comes in and says hey these are the these are the numbers and and this is what we want to hit you usually get pushback that is oh i don't like this a phrase i heard recently from a client who who uh, lost a staff member and it was something like you know you uh, you've changed it's now all about the numbers and you're more concerned about the performance of the business than anything else and i and i i looked at her through the camera and said what well, and you think that's a bad thing like she's actually just giving you a compliment there like because that's how you run a business like that's how it should have been from the get-go and unfortunately obviously the person that they'd employed wasn't used to that way of uh of how the business was being run because we changed it in in play if you like so how have you got your staff to accept that you are now having to track numbers and you do have a standard that you want them to achieve and it may not be always hit and they may feel uncomfortable about some of the conversations how did you get them on board I think it starts with the hiring process and making sure that they, it's not something that's new to them, that they actually have been held accountable before. Yeah. Uh, so we definitely want someone who has been accountable. So, you know, we ask the question, tell me about a time when you've been held accountable for some, for some numbers and then try to dive deeper into that. And then when the onboarding process starts, like starting with that, like that'll be like our, you know, our, our second day onboarding. So showing them, you know, their scorecard and what numbers they're, they will be accountable for yeah. uh, and introducing that kind of, if we start with it, it kind of shows the importance of it right away. Um, show them, you know, we kind of break up, you know, our, our company into, you know, um, like acquisition, conversion, and re retention. Show them kind of who does what. So, like, they know what my numbers are. They know what numbers Pile is going to be responsible for. And then they also know what numbers they're going to be responsible for um, or, or held accountable for. And then, you know, kind of talking to them about, like, what the plan will be, say, if we're not at them. Um, cause we don't expect them to be there right away, but obviously over 90 days, we, you know, we do want to get there. So we haven't gotten any pushback in terms of like, why are you tracking these? You just care about that. The one thing that we've noticed is that we have had a few people resign that we, we were probably thinking we're, you know, uh, ready to get off the bus and we were probably going to talk to them at either their, you know, one month or, or 90 day period and kind of set a game plan in terms of like, Hey, you're, we're not, you know, we're not where we need to be. Like, we're not blaming you, but let's use this as an opportunity to come up with an improvement plan. And, you know, we're going to hold you accountable over the next six weeks. However, I think they felt that was coming and might've felt like it was, it was too big of a task for me, but they didn't want to face it and kind of took themselves out of the role. Fabulous. Fabulous. So, um, what else can I ask you about that we uh, would love to? What about staff? What about staff that you've had who are struggling? How have you helped them? Tell me about that. What's the what does the coaching conversation look like? Uh, how did you recognize when somebody hasn't been as uh, effective as you would like, and what did you do to bring them back up? Another meeting we set with our office manager. Uh, we set a weekly one-hour meeting, which is essentially led by her to try to you know empower her um, and really have her come prepared with anything that she wanted to, to go over. So it could be you know as granular as we can just spend an hour role playing one particular conversation and objection that she, you know, struggled with throughout the week or kind of felt was a common reoccurrence, or it could be, you know, a, a bigger picture thing just to really help her. Cause we kind of told her like, you know, we, we want to support you. We want you to kind of hit your numbers. Um, and you know, it's kind of really up to you to tell us like what you need and we'll just let you run it and we'll just kind of give you whatever, you know, support or, or role playing during that, that meeting. So I definitely think that was really beneficial. Good. Um, time commitment to marketing, how much are you spending right now and what's working for you? So uh, we hired full-time coach um, to pretty much allow me to market full-time. Yeah. Uh, and 
her, you know, first, so she's been here about a month, first, you know, month and definitely first like three weeks were a lot of onboarding. So I was probably doing maybe about 10 hours a week. And then um, pretty much right out of about a month period, um, our office manager resigned. So I've kind of picked up the, the sales and nurture process, which I'm probably doing uh, 10 to 20 hours a week on. So it's, it's not where I'd like it to be. Uh, we'd like it to be, you know, pretty full time in terms of 20, 30 hours a week. Uh, right now it's probably sitting at about 10 or 15. Yeah. What's and, working, what's working for you? Yeah. I mean, I mean, in terms of marketing, we also have been starting to branch back out into in-person events as well. Um, we, for a while there, we're just kind of relying on online marketing, which had been working really well for us and it continues to work well for us, but we're trying to use this opportunity as we're trying to grow to uh, vary our um, marketing sources. So we got uh, newspaper ads going out right now as well, but our biggest thing for physical therapy, we just run monthly workshops, really all filled by Facebook. Um, last month, we probably got 30 leads for it. So we usually get you know about half of them to show um, usually half of them will book a DV. So it's usually good for two to four patients per month just from there. Big thing for the person listening to, to this to understand is um, I'm all for, for workshops. And what must be understood is I, I have in a previous podcast been critical of, of, uh, of workshops or it could certainly have come across that way. But my criticism of workshop was really that when it's your only source of patients, it's dangerous. And, and if that's all we do, is announced that we're running a workshop, which a lot of people think that that's all that's involved. Critically, if you listen to what Cody just said there, they use marketing to fill up a workshop. And that's the big distinction to make. A workshop is not marketing. So oftentimes I'll ask people on calls and they'll be like, yeah, our marketing's all workshops. I'm like, all right, but that's not marketing. Like that's the, that's the activity. That's as, that's as close to a discovery visit as a consultation. That's almost the sales aspect. So workshops are not marketing. Marketing has to go on in order to get people to come to a workshop that then ultimately sells them into a discovery visit. And if we're using Facebook or Google, website, affiliates, joint ventures, whatever it would be, all of those things must, um, must go on as well. What's the biggest challenge that you've had with running your company? I would say it's got to be the people. I think it's the finding the right people that you want to bring on board, that people that are fully um, buying your bought into the vision of the company, um, people who have the right skills that they need, especially at the stage when we have so few employees, each person needs to kind of be okay with being held accountable and they've got to be able to be in that like chameleon type mentality where they're able to pick up on every little thing that needs to happen, kind of acting as a glue if needed. Um, and I think that, it's tough to find those people and um, everyone can kind of say it upon interview that they'd love to do that type of a thing. But really when it comes down to it, um, I think, I think that's probably the toughest thing when it comes to starting a small business um, and hopefully getting it. So that way you have the right people in place. So that way you can eventually remove yourself. The hardest thing, the hardest thing and the lesson that I would, if I was to go back and, tell my you know the question of what would you tell your 28 year old self you know 10 years ago what would I tell myself if I was starting a business I'd tell myself this hire less people but pay them more and what that means is instead of doing what most people do which is find the cheapest version of the person that I need and and in in most cases it's a part-time 
front desk because I, I don't really want to have to pay, you know, $40,000 for somebody to do that full time who might be in a supervisory kind of role and is actually the person that I need. Instead, I'll spend $18,000, but saddle myself with somebody who's kind of can do a little bit for me, but not really helping me drive that company forward. And, and the more that I reflect on my kind of journey, um, and certainly I'm learning the lessons in this second business, that it would be to have less staff, but pay them more so that I can ultimately get more from uh, less uh, in, in terms of, you know, because the fallacy is you bring more people into the business, you're going to get more work done. And it's not the case. It's the exact opposite. The more people that come into your business, ultimately the less work that gets done. And often you find the difference between just paying an extra five or $10,000 between, you know, $25,000 candidate and a $35,000 candidate or a 50 and a 75, whatever, you know, you're, you're looking at. Usually if you've done it right, can actually bring you in significantly more and never more is that true when it comes to a practice manager office manager or even just to some, somebody to sit on that front desk it horrifies me when i watch people in the group asking a, a conversation around this person's asked for 15 dollars, but i only wanted to pay 14 dollars 50 do you think i should pay the extra 50 cents i'm like holy shit come on like are we really having this type of conversation? Like that's just when you know people are lost in the minutia of I'm just looking for somebody who can take this job and not necessarily somebody who can help me drive this business forward. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. We had this conversation when we hired our uh, performance manager as well who um, was asking for a salary that she was getting from a different type of setting previously. And yeah. it was around the mark of we'll say anywhere from five to $8,000 more than we originally thought that we would spend on her. However, what it affords us is the ability to market um, probably close to an additional 15 extra hours a week, um, eventually, of course, after her onboarding's over. But, but the net effect is a huge win, um, just to pay her what it is that she's looking for. If she does her job perfectly, as well as we think she can do it, then, you know, it allows us to certainly expand and bring in our own additional revenue on top of that. It's so true. And again, that's the type of thinking that a CEO, a leader of a company to, to grow the business. And um, everybody I've spoke to on, on, on this, you know, this interview series, the conversations that we're having here are battle scarred, uh, lessons learned from the trenches, this is what it. This is what it takes. This is the challenges you're going to run run into, and this is what I've learned, you know, from from being in this process. It isn't tactically about how do I answer the phone. It isn't how do I answer the insurance question. It isn't how do I raise my rates. It isn't you know how do I get people off Google or Facebook or whatever. It's ultimately how do I see these challenges differently than everybody else to to you know because we I've got the same challenges as you. Whether I, my business in Orlando, whether my business in the UK, you know, with Princeton, whether it's California absolutely the nuances are different you know the 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 culture slightly different everywhere we go but really the challenges that we face and what it takes to be a true leader of a company they're pretty much the same and and these are the types of lessons that i hope people are picking up from this series that isn't always a you know kind of sexy conversation where you can put it down and you go right i'm going to raise my rates or right i'm going to go do google ads these types of interviews usually require certainly listening more than once to find the, the, the solid piece of gold that just says, look, when you're thinking about hiring somebody, do you really need to, to you know, find the cheapest? Can we, or what has to happen, and how long can you sustain paying somebody an extra $10,000 for, whether it's two or three months, which is only going to cost you two or $3,000, 
in order to buy back time, in order for you to sit in the most important seat of your business, which is marketing, in order to bring in an extra 10 or 15 leads every month, which if you've hired the right person, that person converts eight to nine to 10 of them with the right pricing structure in play, adds $20,000 to your business. Do we really need to, to haggle over $500, $1,000 you know, here and there? And again, you can only do that with reflection, with thinking time, with sitting down and actually thinking about your business, which is the thing I've ranted and raved about for so long because I'm sick to death of seeing people jump from decision to decision to decision and being told to take action and action and action that ultimately they're not making any more decisions and they're not ultimately doing anything differently. They're just on the same bloody wheel doing the, you know, the same thing over and over and over again because that's what everybody else is doing, but not many people are having the level of success that, that you guys are and that Kevin's having and you know everybody else, Carrie, who's on these, who's on these series. So there's a, a common denominator there, that's for sure. I appreciate you saying that. What's the biggest lesson you're part of my CEO program? What's the biggest lesson you've learned there? So we get together, obviously, every couple of months. I'm excited to see you in a couple of uh, weeks. It's very hot down here by the way you you um you won't need to pack much that's for sure when you come down to uh, orlando in a few weeks um what's so so what's the lessons you've learned from just being in the room with other businesses uh, around the table tell me about what what you took from that i i actually think it's exactly what you're talking about right now uh when we came to the first meeting we we knew we needed to hire some type of admin and our questions were were like how do we know when we're ready to hire? How do we know what our budget is? We were thinking, I guess, more of an, an expense um, and, and more trying to budget it and not seeing you know, uh, the investment potential and what we, you miss out on. So you help us see like, what we're currently missing out on by not having this person. Yeah. Um, you know, because you said our, like, you asked us who was answering our phone while we were there. You know, no one was answering our phone. So it's like, it's, it helped us see that it's, it's definitely an investment. Um, you might not think you have it right now, um, but you just have to see kind of what you're not able to do with that time or what you would be able to do at that time and what you miss out on by not having that person. So I think that's the biggest thing. Um, and even our, our future decisions, um, I guess being able to kind of plan for the future and maybe not get, you know, kind of ties in with that, not get who you need right now or who you can afford right now, but really who's going to help you grow for where you want to be in the future. You know, for us, it's opening up a second location that's really who you need to hire for even right now. Yeah. So many hiring for balancing the equilibrium. And it's a great point to understand that one of the things we like to do in the CEO program is, is not just make decisions for today. It's ultimately when you get into the seat of being able to make decisions that affect your business three, six, nine, 12 months in advance, that's when you know you're in a great place. And what that means is instead of the, the fires that we're putting out today, ultimately most people's decisions today are just putting out fires that were started yesterday, right? That, that's why they go home tired. And that's that, that if they're not careful, when you've heard me say before, you, know, you ain't been in business for 25 years, you've been in business for one year, 25 times. It's because today's decisions were just yesterday's fires. How do I deal with that challenge? How do I deal with that, that hassle? How do I deal with that thing? What we want everybody to be in and why I created the CEO program was ultimately how do we get you into a seat where we can sit down and think about your business and make decisions that will affect you in the next three, six, nine, 12 months. So we are forward thinking, we're forward planning. We're not always going back trying to fix, you know, fires in the past. It's future pacing uh, and protecting the business by what I would call growth through risk mitigation. What's the biggest risk to the business? Well, the biggest risk is in not hiring at all. 
what's the other risk? The risk is in hiring somebody who's inappropriately qualified because you wanted to save three to $5 an hour, which ultimately might cost you $100,000 every year. That's the types of discussions that really go on at that next, um, you know, that next step so that you're thinking about what you want this business to look like in 12 months time, reverse engineer that process to what needs to happen at every step in order to, um, in order to be, you know, in, in to be the position that you want to be in 12 months time, whether it's with hiring, whether it's with numbers, whether it's to have that business uh, scalable so you can start your second and third premises. And as we discussed with you guys, and, and there's a few people in the room who are, I, I've done well out of the first, uh, you know, the first clinic, I'm thinking about hiring a second. I'm like, it's not going to happen because you don't have the right one or two people in play. Uh, to be able to allow you to, to to go focus on a second one, the first business will fall apart if you go off now and try to start a second or a third business without a rock solid general manager, practice manager, bossing that business for you. You know when you're not around. Yeah, absolutely. I I think I was just going to add to it what you said about what is the biggest lesson that we've learned from CEO. I think another big another big thing that I've learned is that you know you're your problems don't go away. They morph and evolve into more complexities. So essentially, you know, what we thought were our problems the first time around when we first came down to our first CEO meeting were such small scale, trivial, short-sighted type things. And now where we're trying to go with our business is more of a overall vision um, in terms of where we'd like to be years from now. And yeah. so you start to think in terms of big picture, which is, I think, probably the best thing about joining CEO Mastermind. Yeah, it's good to hear that. That um, again, it's part of the, the the deal, if you like, of being a CEO and a leader is not to get stuck in the minutia. Um, that's what practice managers are for. That's what uh, supervisors are for. Like that's their job. That's what they love to do. They, you know, I've got Sophie in my office here. That's what she relishes. She relishes the day to day doing of things and just sorting out a mess or dealing with a challenge or something tactical where when I have to get involved in those conversations, it makes me sick. Like physically I'll do it, but it's not where I want to spend all of my time. My time is best spent thinking about what the company is going to look like and mapping out the next hire. And then who we're going to hire after that. And how will I know if that hire was a success and what am I prepared to spend in order to get what I want? Those are the jobs of the, um, the CEO. So last question, I'll let you go. Um, knowing what you know now about your business, what would you do sooner? Oh, great question. Probably higher. I always know when it's a good question when you go silent. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think probably higher because we were waiting for, you know, the right time to hire. Um, and, and it would probably be hire a full-time person because, you know, we talked about, we were, we were kind of worried about that, but seeing, what happens when you do buy time back and when you do buy someone who can actually, you know, be doing the day to day and, and make it a worthwhile investment. Um, not only does it make you a lot less overwhelmed when you're not actually having to, you know, answer calls all the time and, and do everything. It allows you, you know, the time, but also like the, the, uh, the clarity to actually think. Yeah, I would agree. I think we waited a lot longer than we needed to. And for that reason, we, kind of delayed the the effect um which was the consistency at our front desk love it love it all right thank you for your time guys uh where can uh, anybody listening find out more about you uh, give us your website and any social handles you've got yeah so our company is called adapt performance and rehab and 
like you said, like you mentioned, we're located in uh, Princeton. Well, the town right over in Lawrence Township, New Jersey. And um, we're both, Cody and I are both on Facebook as well. So feel free to message us. Yeah, I was telling you the story of uh, how I ended up in in, uh, in Princeton. Uh, which was the train station? Trenton, I think I was at. How, how far from Trenton are you? Just a couple of miles. Yeah, just a few miles. Yeah, I'll tell the story. Um, I'd met up with Mike um, of Next Level PT in New Jersey and Justin Rabinowitz. And uh, I was in a hotel somewhere in New Jersey. I thought I was in some some town or some suburb of New Jersey. And turns out I wasn't. Um, and a guy from New York, uh, Alex Gomez, actually, of Prehab in uh, New York, had messaged me and said, can we meet up? He'd never, we'd never met before. And he messaged me through Facebook. I said, yeah, this is where I'm at. Here's my hotel. And it uh, turns out he went to a hotel, like the, you know, whatever it was, hotel, and uh, an hour and a half away the other side of New Jersey. So he messages me and says, I'm in reception. And I said, I said, you're not. Um, so it turns out I was in Princeton and he was in some other suburb of New Jersey so he said okay I'll, I'll come and get you we didn't have time to meet we literally spoke in the car and we sat in the subway restaurant of uh, the train station at Trenton and I remember thinking it was the middle of uh, it was the end of November so it was freezing cold it was like really cold at this point and I was traveling to Wilmington Delaware um, and I remember looking around thinking holy shit like where is this place that this you know I was glad it was early morning if he'd have brought me there on the night I might have had uh, a few reservations about how I was going to get to Wilmington because I wouldn't have been getting on that train I don't think so I learned uh, I learned a little bit about your area anyway that was my uh, my story of uh, Princeton and, and Trenton New Jersey I'll never forget it we're, we're selling cash about two miles from there so it's just <laughs> yeah Yes, it we is. We raised our rates recently, so. Good for you. What are you charging now? Uh, we're at two twenty-five a session. And what did you start when you first joined Accelerator? I think it was one fifty at the time. Good, love it. I still think it was, it was fifty bucks that people wanted. If, one, to pay that. if they wanted fifty, we were doing fifty. It was whatever they'd pay you. I, I still think you can. You guys can go past two twenty-five. I have every faith in you. By the end of the year, that you'll be close to three hundred. Paul, I can't even imagine. <laughs> <laughs> Stop getting in the way of giving yourself a pay rise. Yeah, really. I owe it to my accountability group, first of all, for getting me to 225. Good, good, good. Did they challenge you? Oh my gosh, every second of the day. Good, it's what you need. We all, do. We all need that level of accountability to, uh, to force us through to, uh, to do the things that we know we needed to do in the first place. I bet you kicked yourself the moment that people started saying yes. I, I used to do it all the time. I'd, I'd raise my rates and then I'd think, oh shit, I'd get the calculator out straight away and think if I'd have been doing that for a year, I'd have had an extra 50,000 pounds in the bank at this point. Someone told me, put it into perspective, they said you just missed out on all the money that you pay Paul every year. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> like I never thought about it that way. There you go. There you go. If you don't take the advice, it costs you. You know, yeah. it cost you but good well done i think you two are doing amazingly well and uh, i was very excited to do this interview with you you've done incredibly well in such a short period of time in every aspect i love um working with you guys and i love being in the ceo and I, I will point this out we've got 27 people and um i'd put you in the certainly on, on one hand as the uh people that i really when you speak, I sit back and, and I start to listen. You've got some incredible insights and lessons learned for somebody who has only been running a business for two years. You guys come up with some stunning, uh, not tactical answers, ways of seeing business and, and just the hiring process and ultimately what people 
are uh, needing to think like uh, you know if you like for you know what it takes to run a business and uh, you're a true credit to the community I know people absolutely love you they're gonna love this interview and uh, both of you just keep doing what you're doing you're um, you're making great great strides towards building something very special over there well done Thanks awesome so Paul. Much, really Paul. appreciate it all right good have a great day I'll look forward to uh, I'll see you in Nashville uh, in two days time for a, a great weekend all right we'll see you soon okay thanks guys see you soon bye Thank you for listening to Paul Goff's audio experience. If you're brand new to Paul's world, head on over to paulsmarketingbook.com where you can get started with his number one best-selling marketing book for physical therapists. Or if you've been listening to the show for a while, you like what you hear and you think that you could benefit from this type of help to accelerate the growth and profitability of your practice, reach out to Paul's team at paul at paulgoff.com and tell us exactly what you're looking for. And by the way, if you know someone who would benefit from today's show, please share it with them. And if you've got any questions that you want answered, tweet Paul at the Paul Goff using the hashtag AskPG. You can also find all of these details over in today's show notes. All right, until next time, have a wonderful day.